All right. Um, well, we're going to begin our study of the Word of God, and before we do that, I well, actually, let's. If you have a Bible, uh, we're going to pass them out now, so they don't have to stand there holding these stacks of Bibles. We're going to be in First Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one. If you have a Bible, if you don't. Uh, relieve them of these books. Uh, these are books that if you don't have a Bible and you raise your hand to get one, you get to keep it if you don't have one. And uh, that way you'll know, he got you. Yeah, you're waving her and he, <laughs> they're on it. First Peter chapter 1, towards the end of the Bible. There's First and Second Peter. They're both epistles. The word epistle means letter. And this is a letter that Peter wrote. And we'll cover that in a moment. I typically have a stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, and I'll do that momentarily, not right now. But I wanted to uh, share with you, as Pastor Rick had commented he was in D.C., uh, I had made preparations to go to Washington to join, but I didn't have a piece about it, but I was still going to go. And then in the course of uh, events, um, Charlie Kirk asked if I'd come out to sit with him on his podcast live stream uh, for the Georgia Returns. I'm glad I did because... It was devastating. Folks needed comfort. He brought me in as a pastor, and, uh, and it worked out really well. We had hundreds of thousands of people viewing it. Um, we were getting information live. Uh, they are so amazingly connected to every resource available that they're able to test it and see if it's real and then put it forward. And so we went through the, just the nightmare of, uh, of that evening with the Georgia elections, and we were so frustrated because... You know, we, we're watching the same kind of gimmick that they did in the, some of these other states. And folks were discouraged. Um, and then we went into the 6th, and that turned into a, a train wreck. A uh, handful of people, and um, it, was, it was devastating. And we were covering it. Um, and while we were live on the air, we're having to contend with people who uh, were sending in, and we were answering emails live on the program we had people saying, you know, it's time for a revolution, it's time to go to guns, it's time to, time to, you know, and I just, one of my favorites was uh, a combat veteran who said, you know, Charlie, I really enjoy your show, uh, I'm devastated by what's occurred, um, but I, of all people, know the cost of war, and that's the last thing I want at this moment. Um, I, I'll defend this nation, I, I believed in the oath of office that I took to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and I think it's people who have engaged in bloodshed and have seen it realize that's not where you want to go. And for those of you who have tactical gear and maybe you own a weapon and you're th saying, you know, it's time, uh, back up a little bit. Back up a little bit. Uh, I, and, and, it, and if you're saying, oh, he doesn't care about the country, okay, all right. Back up a little bit. Uh, I do care. And I don't know if you have a church that you have opened, but you came to this one. So if you do, why are you here? And this is coming at great cost. So we are standing in defense of our inalienable rights. So I do believe in this country. I love this country. Amen. And it's coming at cost to me and those who participate. And then I would say to you, you know, before the Revolutionary War, they endured that for well over a score of years, more than 20 years. And they listed their grievances to King George. And they were very articulate in outlining them. They invoked God four times in that declaration, and then at the end pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. And they appealed to God, knowing that they were going against the greatest nation on the face of the earth that had just defeated the second greatest nation on the face of the earth. They had defeated France, and now they were going up against the British Empire. 
And only one in nine Americans fought in the Revolutionary War. And they, they needed God, trust me. And it was Benjamin Franklin and all the founders, even when they had gone into the Constitutional Convention, 1787, they were at loggerheads and they were about to disband because they didn't know what form of government to put together. And they had, it was Benjamin Franklin who called for three days of fasting and prayer. And they had come up with a bicameral legislature which changed the course of human history. And as Benjamin Franklin was exiting the Constitutional Convention, a woman came to him and said, what form of government have you given us, Mr. Franklin? And, and he said, a, a republic, madam, if you can keep it. It was John Adams who said only a moral people can govern a republic. And in that document, declaring that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, among those being life. Let's just pause there for a minute. Because liberty and the pursuit of happiness is of scarce little value if you're dead. And when they signed that document, they began to lose every battle. They were down to a handful of soldiers, less than 4,000, that mustered at Valley Forge in the dead of winter on December 24, 1776. Many of them couldn't muster because they had dysentery. They had to go through the smallpox epidemic and inoculate themselves at a 5% death rate. The British had already been inoculated. They were wiping out the Continental forces. The only casualties when they attacked the Hessians in Trenton were men who had froze to death because they didn't even have boots. They had to wrap their feet in burlap sacks to march because they'd lost most of their equipment in New York when they had to go across the East River over fog that was, you know, I believe ordained by God and held back the wind so the British fleet couldn't surround them. And at each area they saw the hand of God operating in the birth of this nation and as the few mustered and conscriptions would be up, January 1st of 1777, this experiment liberty would be over, and they knew they needed a victory, and they passed out a pamphlet written by Thomas Paine, who was an atheist agnostic at best, and he wrote, these are the times that try men's souls, a summer soldier and a sunshine patriot will in this season shrink from the duty of their country, but those who defend it now deserve the love and respect of all men and women, and tyranny like hell is not easily conquered. But the greater the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. And he passed that pamphlet out, motivated these soldiers, they marched, they surprised the Hessians on Christmas Day when most people were waking up, maybe as tradition to open presents or to enjoy a meal by their fireplace in the comfort of their home. These frozen continental soldiers attacked the Hessians, turned the tide of the war, and now you sit 244 years later in a nation conceived in liberty and dedicated that proposition, beseeching God Almighty, and now you've lost and you've been discouraged, dis meaning the absence of courage. And you're devastated because all these hopes and these promises have come to nothing. And I've been getting the memes and I've been getting the... Uh, while we were sitting there on the, on, on the Charlie Kirk program, watching them come in, the president's flying to Texas. And there's 8,000 soldiers now amassed and, and armed in the Capitol. And, and indictments are happening in you know, Guantanamo Bay and there's barges and they're going to disclose in the Italian president. I got it all. I got it all, and I know you meant well when you sent it to me, and right now I have 778 unanswered texts, as you've sent me video, and you've sent me clips, and everything, boom, 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 and, a... and you think you're the only one sending them to me, which is hilarious, because everyone else is like, 
And you haven't, you know, there's no source data, and I'm trying to ask every single person, please give me the sources, please give me the evidence. You don't understand. And we're live on the air. And, And at that moment, the president's flying to Texas on a command jet. We're there, and Charlie's on the phone with somebody in the White House sitting next to the President of the United States in D.C. while we're getting inundated with this. It's what I like to call hopium, combination of opium and hope, hopium. <laughs> like how I did that? And you're clinging to this. There's a chance. There's a chance. And it was done by Antifa, and now we come to realize a handful of Antifa were there. But a lot of alt-right people were the ones doing it. We've got pictures. We know. These are some of the same people that have attacked us. And the nation's discouraged. And everything we've been promised has just imploded. And Vice President Pence will rule. And Barr's got it. And he's going to take care of it. And, well, the senators are going to get it. And the congressmen are going to It all folded. And now we're just looking and we're thinking, how did this man get into office? And we, we've got the inauguration. Well, no, Trump's got something under, uh, up his sleeve. You'll see. You'll see. And pastor after pastor has prophesied and put that forward. And certain prophecies have already been debunked. And others, and everyone's clinging to them. And the worst, my frustration, and I know everyone means well, and I'm not condemning you because I'm guilty, just like you are. I put forward information that wasn't true. And I got called on it. And the people who called me on it are merciful. And I'll be as merciful to you as they were to me, which was sweet. But I have a responsibility as a pastor to operate in the context of truth. And as a Christian, you have the same. And we make mistakes. And I don't want to be a pawn in the world of deception. And by the way, a rumor is just simply a lie with legs. And I don't want to operate in that world. And as these things went forward and people meant well. One person in particular is frustrating the daylights out of me. If I see another meme, it's just, I'm, I'm done with it. It's a guy named Lynn Wood. And some of you adore him. You just think that it's all going to come. I haven't seen one bit of evidence to prove anything he said is true. Not one of, some of, of the things that I've been dealing with. And we're having to contend live on the air as these things are being sent to us. And you know what? Our people walked precincts in Georgia and folks said, I'm not voting. And this is the man that put it forward. And you just look at the turnout, and you go, well, it's still stolen. Okay, it's still stolen. But here's my question for you. They stole it in Pennsylvania, yes. They stole it in Wisconsin, yes. They stole it in Michigan, yes. They stole it in Georgia, yes. And Nevada, and Arizona, and we can go on and on. Just answer it. Tell them you'll call them back. <laughs> I, I, I was joking about that. I just, I just wanted to see if you got the hype. Yeah. Anyway, so... So they stole those elections, no doubt, and we're looking at it. But, but here's my question. Do you think that the election was stolen in Florida where the president won by over 400,000 votes? They got Dade County. How is it that they finished their counting early? Because they got a good governor. They've got people who walk precincts. They've got people who are poll watchers. They've got people who are prepared and were ready. And now America, because they're hopeless with, with this inundating of all these promises that were going to occur just one after another fails to come to fruition and people are, I'm never voting again. Are you kidding me? We're going to guns. Are you kidding me? Do you realize in the Civil War 650,000 people died on a field of battle and when that young man who was a combat veteran rode in, he knows what he's talking about. 
That was 2% of our nation's population. That would be the equivalent today of 6.5 million people dying. And you want to go to that extreme when you can see what you can do with a state as in Florida that was the hotbed of corruption and is now being governed properly. Well, that's Florida. It's more Republican than it is. Okay, time out. Let's look around this area. Garcia won, not once but twice, in, in a Democrat district because people were poll watchers and walked those precincts and worked hard to get them elected in a blue district. Young Kim got cheated the first round, didn't give up, and now she's a sitting congresswoman in the United States Congress in California, which is so blue, it's purple. Well, I don't even know if that's right. <laughs> Folks, you're looking for a reason to give up. That did, that's not in the lexicon of a believer. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Exhaust every effort. Stand strong and participate. They've worked 40 years to accomplish this. The left. And I would say this, that, and, and please understand that my comparison has nothing to do with the death rate. Again, I'll repeat that because people take it out of context. My comparison has nothing to do with the death rate. But I compare what just occurred to Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. Again, the death rate is not part of my comparison. It's the perpetrating of a plan that was deceptive, that caught America off guard, flat-footed, and sank half of our Pacific fleet as these planes flew under the radar of all of our intelligence, and they almost destroyed our nation. And as, as calculated as that attack was, that sank half our Pacific fleet, this event that we've just endured is far more calculated, and they've spent time and they've been patient, and they haven't stopped. And for them, Americans, you know, this Christian mindset is that the pendulum of God swings and it just balances in the middle and there's no extremes. It doesn't work that way unless you infuse the triangle of freedom, faith, virtue, and freedom. What happens is everything is linear, and you build on it. And we're waiting for our salvation to come on Air Force One. We're waiting for our salvation to come in the fruition of one of these promises by some of these folks that are just throwing out the most outlandish things. And no one's ever stopped to say, wait a minute, could this be, as the scriptures point out, that God judges nations, could this be a time of God calling his people back to him and bringing in this trial and this difficulty because this nation has aborted one million children a year since 1973? Do you think God turns a blind eye to that? And for me to say that, I'll tell you what, you just keep talking that way and this church will be preached down once again to a manageable size. We don't want to go to a church that talks about babies being aborted. We don't want to discuss the fact that of the million babies a year being aborted, 320 to 340,000 of those are black children that have flatlined the birth rate of the black community. We don't want to talk about the fact that the founder of Planned Parenthood was a eugenicist who wanted to get rid of the inferior races, and that's why over 78% of the abortion clinics are in inner cities. We don't want to talk about that. We don't want to talk about what happens to a human being. And we don't want to go to a church that talks about that. We don't want to address it. We don't want to face it. I get it. We just, we just want to put the church in a box that we temporarily participate in. But now it's hit home. And we were hoping that it'd be fixed. And it hasn't. 
Now we're devastated. We don't know what to do. Yes, we do. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves, which means acknowledge, will humble themselves and pray. I mean, talk to God and turn from your wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and heal their land. You say, well, what wicked ways have I participated in? Is there an abortion clinic in your community? Yeah. Have you driven by it? Yeah. It's the equivalent of driving by a billowing smokestack in Auschwitz. Well, they don't kill as many. We kill a million a year. There were 4 million slaves in 1860. We kill 320,000 black children a year. Since 1973, do the math. God doesn't turn a blind eye to that. And the church, which is supposed to be his bride, expressing his will and his purpose, would rather talk about anything but that. We don't want to be the moral conviction of a nation. And we, we won't participate in a church that does that. And I get it. It's not fun. But we're the conscience of the nation. It wasn't fun when we had to look face to face with our failure to treat humanity equal when Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. would declare the civil rights movement, and stand as a young 20-year-old watching Rosa Parks refuse to move on the bus. And he'd be so inspired, he'd stand. And it would put him in prison. And the church would look and say, you're on the wrong side of history, you're in prison. He'd say, no, you're on the wrong side of history because you're not in prison with me. And it's uncomfortable. And we'd figure out every way to dismiss whatever movement he was doing. So we would do an ad hominem attack and look at all of his moral failures and somehow dismiss the case as being invalid. America had embraced slavery. And 2% of our nation died on a field of battle. And if you read the second inaugural address, you realize Lincoln understood that there's a cost to be paid when you offend the Almighty. Oh, he's loving, yes. He's merciful, yes. He's gracious, yes. He was a baby in a manger, yes. He's come to, to, he came to die on a cross and to set you free from the law of sin and death by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. True. He's come that you might have life and life more abundant. True. But he's also God. The God who holds the heavens in the span of his hand, who's completely just. And a nation is judged. You see, in America, we're bound by the Constitution. We're not bound by ethnicity or immutable traits like melanin content or absence thereof. We're Americans because we hold to an idea that there's a creator and we're accountable to him and to each other. And when that nation is conceived in that liberty and acknowledges that, there's freedom. And now we're at oppressive. We're watching as unprecedented censorship, a sitting president of the United States has been censored. We're watching as they're pulling parlor off because that voice is contrary to what we want to do. We're watching as these freedoms are being taken. We're thinking we're hopeless. And I have to tell you, it was a tough week for me too. I, I know it's been hard for you. And, and, and the message God gave me as I was asking him, it is a message of hope. And the passage will speak to it momentarily. This will be the last thing and then we'll go into the teaching. I got this from a friend who is my brother, a brother in Christ. I love him. And ever since I've known him, I have. He 
His political views are contrary to my own. His love for the word is the same as me. We contend. He said to me when he was watching the events at the Capitol unfold, he says, was this okay with you, question mark? I'm angry with four exclamation points in the text. I responded, no. He said, I'm really upset. He said, Pence did a good job. My response, I think Pence folded. I think he's a coward. I was upset. Two opposing views. I wrote to him. I responded. I said, just like the BLM, peaceful people marching for right, for right reasons and Antifa insights rioting and the weak join in. They want us to fight against each other. He says, no comparison. I said, our folks are there on the ground. We have videos. Our pastor's there. Nothing to do with you or the good people at God speak. This interrupts democracy with lies. I said, this is contrary to our live footage and firsthand accounts. Anger is what they want. So if that is the response, we're going to lose. He goes, painful, Rob. And he doesn't speak like that, but this is how I'm hearing it. Please understand. He says, painful, Rob. I said, yes. He said, this was not Antifa. Trump supporters, and it was not all peaceful. Sad. Well, I'm a Trump supporter. So is most of the people in the church. So I wrote, six months ago, the Capitol BLM riots killed 30 people and billions of dollars in damage. I never once sent you a text or even considered blaming you or holding you responsible. The one death we have been informed of is that of an unarmed California woman who was a 14-year Air Force veteran. I don't have the details on the other deaths. I've stood by you even when I have disagreed with you and never have never blamed you for anything ever. I've never expressed anger or malice to you. I am not your enemy and never have been. I've always been and will remain your friend. I wrote, I do not condone, support, agree, nor believe the violence and destruction is acceptable, justified, correct, nor should it be tolerated. No one I know, affiliate with, or follow had anything to do with it. It is wrong and did nothing to serve my beliefs or purposes of what I stand for and contend for. To affiliate, connect me, or those who stand with me to this horror is what hurts the most. He said, I don't connect you with this. I'm discussing this with my friend. I said, well, I do not apologize for my immutable God-given trait, nor do I apologize, meaning my white skin, nor do I apologize for the depraved evil behavior and actions of those who participated in yesterday's horror, even if they possess my immutable trait. I am not them, and we are not all the same. I am a child of the king, and I will stand upon my character and honesty formulated in my life by his word, which was the connection at the beginning for our friendship and has been the glue that has kept us united. I love you and always will. And they responded right back at you. And then they said, you don't have to explain. I know your heart. Be blessed, my brother. We're all struggling with this. We're all trying to figure it out. We're all motivated by a political position or a narrative we read things the way we want to see them. 
But our responsibility and what brought peace is the declaration that God's word is our guiding force. I want to bring you hope, not hopium. And that hope is found in this passage that we're about to study. Please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. I'll read out loud if you'll follow along silently. I'll begin at verse 3 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than earthly gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom you have not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Lord, we thank you as we study your word that you have given us a living hope. And we're grateful for that, God. The men and women in the hearing of my voice have come this day because they, many, are absent of hope. They want to quit. They want to give up. They want to turn to violence. They want to just check out. But you've given us a living hope found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's an inheritance that's incorruptible. It's undefiled. It doesn't fade away. It's reserved in heaven for all of us who would call upon the name of the Lord through faith. And so God, today, would you instill that in each person who has heard this declaration? Would you minister that the anchor of our soul is a hope found only in Christ? That what you say is true, and we trust you. And so, Lord, please, I pray you'd minister and bless in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat, if you would. As I had addressed some of the texts and memes that I have received, I wanted to share with you something. I have 12,500 followers on Instagram. I'm not bragging. I'm just stating a fact. I've got almost 2,000 Twitter followers. I seldom tweet, and I don't do much on Instagram, and I don't even really look at it. My daughter periodically posts something. Uh, I don't follow people for the most part. And today... I'm erasing both accounts. I'm done. I'm not erasing them because I disagree with social media or with technology. I'm not a Luddite, and you can do your history. It's people who feared technology. I'm not afraid of technology. I just refuse to be possessed by it. I'm no longer going to be a cyborg who's going to be indoctrinated as I look down and operate my life based on the opinions of people I've never met nor know. In addition, I'm not going to fall prey 
to social shaming. I was in the airport in Phoenix as my wife and I were sitting six feet from anyone, sitting in the airport, and I had my mask down, and this young man came up and said, hey, apparently you don't know the rules. I said, I'm sorry? You're not wearing a mask. I said... Something very nice. <laughs> and the idea was, the vaccine is a therapeutic. Have you had the vaccine? I have the antibodies. He said, well, you, you, can, you, you can still get sick again. And my thought is, what are you saying? We have to wear this forever? <laughs> and I, I, I didn't say it, but I felt like it. And, and, and as he was walking away, mumbling something, I go, okay, Carl. COVID Carl, COVID Karen. And if you're Karen or you're Carl, that's not you. Sorry. Hey, I have to deal with the real McCoy, okay? So I don't want to hear it. And the young man across from me just says, that's out of line. And everyone kind of got frustrated. And I was like, yeah, let's fire up, everybody. But I, I, I pondered it. And the next time someone comes to me, I'm just going to say, look, I know you're concerned. For a virus that has over a 99% survival rate. And you want to call out people who are violating the order. But I think you're going to have far more success in saving lives if you'll stand out on the freeway and tell people to slow down. Because speeding and traffic deaths have far exceeded anyone who died from COVID. So go stand in the freeway. I'll work through that. I haven't formulated it completely, but that's... But here we are, and, and we're, we're just struggling, and we're pitted against one another, and we're watching a nation just going through turmoil, and, and depression, and struggle, and it's heartache, and, and then I came across this passage, and the Lord ministered to me, but the frustration for me has been in the deception that has been perpetrated upon our nation, and it's not just from the left, it's from the right. It's, it's, it's aggravating. Because it creates hopelessness. Look at Lamentations. Your prophets, your prophets have said so many foolish things, false to the core. They did not save you from exile by pointing out your sins. Instead, they painted false pictures filling you with false hope. You see, the Assyrians were going to devastate Israel because they had walked away from God and embraced idols. And these false prophets came out and said, no, there's hope. There's not going to be war. Everything's going to be fine. There's going to be abundant harvest. And then they finally wrote in Jeremiah 8.20, they just said, the harvest is past. The summer's ended. We're not saved. January 20 is coming up. November's already passed. January, January 6 passed. What's going on? All these people promised. Pastors prophesied. Prophets prophesied. Seven of them said that he'd have two terms. What's going on? I'd love to have that happen. I don't want to go through the Biden-Harris thing. I'm, I'm angry. I'm frustrated. Yes. And everyone's telling me, and I, I, I read it, and I'm like, oh, oh, there are. There's 8,000 armed troops. This is, oh, there's barges off of Guantanamo. Oh. Our, our, our students at Students for Trump walked precincts in Georgia, and they said, we're never going to vote again. We're not going to participate. It's rigged. 
The turnout for Republicans was exceptionally down. You go, well, it would have never mattered because they just would have added votes. It's just, you just want to quit. You just perpetrate hopelessness. And here they say the harvest is past, the summer has ended, and we're not saved. And here's the question, why weren't they saved? The text points out why they weren't saved. They'd been given false hope that all would be well after they had rejected the Lord by going into idolatry. Nevertheless, the Lord had determined to punish them. Their teachers, prophets, and priests were fraudulent. They were covetous, and they dealt falsely in verse 10 of Jeremiah 8. A virus that has a 99% success or survival rate has shuttered the church and paralyzed Christians in fear. We are a mile wide and an inch deep. We have no backbone. There's no hope in the body of Christ. We have walked away from that. We have used this in such a way that we're covetous and we deal falsely in order to keep, forgive me, but it's the best I can describe it, butts in the seats. We think that we can do it over a video camera instead of engaging in a fellowship where we have to work with one another and see lives and minister and participate in our community and stand strong in the face of tyranny no matter what the cost. We have to stand upon issues and declare issues that are uncomfortable. But you avoid those in, the, in, in order to tickle the ears of those that would, would operate in the context of idolatry. Oh, I don't participate in idolatry. Molech was a god of idol. They would heat the hands to a molten level and sacrifice their children on the burning hands of Molech in order to obtain prosperity. The child was inconvenient. We don't do idolatry. And God is saying, wake up, America. The church is my bride. It represents that which is critical to me. That which, which is important. I won't turn a blind eye. Yes, I'm merciful. Yes, I'm gracious. But yes, I'm just. And a nation that operates and allows its laws to decimate over a million children a year created in my image because you would declare they're not a person? We lost 2% of our nation's population on a field of battle because we would declare that someone who contained more melanin than I do was not a person. And now we elect two senators to the Congress or cheat them into office who stand and say in the South, in Georgia, that a, a, a human being in the womb is not a person. And they're a pastor. We're going backwards. And you think we'd lose 2% of our nation's population. How do you think it's going to happen now? And yet, all the churches... And these prophets, they gave the people assurance of peace. When there was no peace, they gave them false hope. Jeremiah 6, 14. Jeremiah 14, 13 to 14. Lamentations 2, 14. Ezekiel 13, 10. The Lord promised to punish these frauds who came, uh, claimed to be speaking hope. This is a time of judgment. There's hope in judgment. But God is just. You see, false hope is no hope. 
There are many people today who have been given false hopes by those who pretend to be in the know or know someone in the know. Uh, I have a friend who was an FBI agent, and they were saying they're saying something, and this is just trustworthy. What's their name? Well, the person that I, I can't really, well, that person, they haven't really been in the force uh, for a few years, but they, it's, it's trustworthy. I got it off the internet. You know what Abraham Lincoln said? You can't trust everything you read on the internet. Think about it. All they've said, which their listeners were excited to receive, is the truth have not come to pass. Look at some of these. CIA traders ran a server from the farm in Frankfurt, Germany, that was used to hack voting machines in the U.S. and switch votes from Trump to Biden. Delta Force special ops raided the CIA facility in the firefight, and six Delta Forces were killed in an unspecified number of CIA. The servers were seized and brought back to the U.S. and forensic computer experts. Look, I, I'm not saying it's not true. I'm just saying I've seen no evidence. And if you can't testify to it, then don't push it forward. Amen. Do your homework. Don't, please, don't send it to me unless you've tested it. Amen. One person said amen. The rest of you are going to keep sending it. <laughs> this, is, this is my favorite. Sitting, sitting and listening to someone looking at the president. <laughs> president boards E-4B, command post flying to M... NMCC, Abilene, Texas. President Trump boarded Nightwatch, Boeing, National Military Command Center, Abilene, Texas. There are only four such planes in the world. I don't know how many of you stayed up late last night for this one, but there was going to be an urgent emergency broadcast system and tune in. The president's going to speak and they're going to be arrested in droves and by the way, a rumor, again, is just a lie with legs. And as Christians, we don't operate in lies. God promises bring hope. God's promises bring hope. The word of God rekindles hope. If one's hope is based in the word of God, one has assurance of it being fulfilled. But when it is based in lies, it is amounts to false hope and it crushes us and they can throw out whatever they want but I'm the pastor who has to pick up the broken pieces of lives that have been discouraged and want to quit and want to go to guns and want to split the union and want to go to war stop it why don't we look internally and say Search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Lord, how have I been responsible for this that you're bringing upon this nation? What have I done or not done? I rend my heart before you, God. Instead, we hope in false prophets telling us sweet things we like to hear. We can look at our negative situations and try to soothe their pain by telling them lies instead of the truth that they need to hear. The truth isn't pleasant. I don't like it any more than you do. Just, can I quietly pastor a church and just go home at night? Can't we just sing some worship songs and feel good and then go? Why do we have to do this? Why do we have to talk about this? 
The Lord told the people of Judah, your prophets have said so many foolish things, false to the core. They didn't try to hold you back from exile by pointing out your sins. Instead, they painted false pictures, filling you with false hope. And you know, we have an idol. We think that our salvation will come on Air Force One, and we have been wholly disappointed. That doesn't mean that I'm not a supporter of the president. Don't misrepresent me. That doesn't mean that I don't believe in the political process or I don't believe we've been cheated. Don't misrepresent me. I just know that regardless of the outcome, no matter how hard I fight and try, I won't win if I come against the Almighty without examining my heart and saying, Lord, what is at issue here? What are you judging us for? And then to realize, Lord, I'm guilty as charged. There's an abortion clinic in my community. Not all people are frauds, but we are pawns in perpetrating the rumors that are lies with feet, legs. We create false hope, which is no hope. I've lived in that world, and it's heartbreaking. I'm limited in time, but I'll share this with you. Many who have been a part of this church for over 20 years have heard this to the point where I don't think they want to hear it again. But there are so many new people. And you wouldn't have stayed with the church that long if you weren't patient. But one of the most devastating, hopeless, dark, cloudy times of my life, when I didn't want to live anymore, occurred as a result of my own sin. I was a new believer. I was young in the Lord. I'd been discipled by an amazing college minister who was married and had three kids, and his life was one that I wanted to emulate. He took me through the Navigator study. Most of the verses I know to this day, he helped me memorize. And I thank him for that. I graduated from the university. I went on to my job, and I got some money in my pocket, and I was on my own. I had my own apartment. I had a company car, and I had money. And I started to sow some oats because I walked away from the Lord. Oh, I still acknowledged him. He was categorized. But I decided to spend a little me time with my money. And as I was sowing my oats, and I got promoted because I did work hard. I did have a good work ethic. I got promoted. I got transferred back to the area where I had had that Bible study and the church I had participated with near the university from which I had graduated. And when I returned to that college group, there was a young lady. I met her. We began to date. We got improperly involved. And if you don't know what that means, ask the person next to you. There's some children in the room, and I'll leave it alone. (laughs) Both of us felt convicted. We did want to pursue the Lord, but we were walking in a world that was opposite of his desires. And so I, the two of us together said, let's call this off and back away and do it right. And we did. And shortly after that, she came to me and she said, I got news, I'm pregnant. Now that was devastating. Now is the time to test my convictions because my parents would not like this. And I drove to go meet them in my parents' house, my dad at this time was a retired Navy captain and a senior executive vice president of a bank. I sat down with my father and my mother. I told them the news that my girlfriend was pregnant and that we were going to get married. And my mom flipped. My dad calmed himself. He wasn't happy. Neither of them were believers. My father said to me with the best advice he could give me with his worldview, he said, son, you don't need to ruin your life. Just have her get an abortion, and you guys can go back to what you were doing, but you don't need to get married. 
And you don't need to be raising a child at this stage in your life. And I said, Dad, I can't do that. It's against what I believe in. My father said, look where your beliefs have gotten you so far. I said, Dad, I can't follow up one mistake with another, at which point my father said, you marry that woman and give birth to that child, you'll never step foot in this house again. I knew he was serious. I was scared. My devotion to God came into conflict with losing my family. Came into conflict with a world that was very unfamiliar and frightening to me. I didn't know what to do. I just knew what was right. And I looked at the man I love and respect, my father and my mother who I love and respect. They're good parents, they were great parents, they're with the Lord now, but, and I, I looked at them and I said, I love you and I'm gonna miss you and I left. And they were true to their word, they shut me down. I was a penny looking for change. A friend of mine who I'd known for a number of years called me to wish me a happy birthday. She was beautiful, and I'd always thought about if I ever get married, that would be the person I'd marry, but we had had different lives, and she called like she would every year. We'd been friends for about four or five years, and she called to wish me a happy birthday. I told her I was getting married. She was heartbroken. I was too, but she was a friend. She understood, and that was kind of the extent of it. As the wedding day began to get closer, my fiancé at the time and I went up to a concert up in Hume Lake above Fresno, tried to get away and just clear our minds. Christian concert, we were driving back down the mountain after the concert, she asked me to pull the car over, I pulled the car over, she takes off her engagement ring, she puts it on the dashboard of the car and she says, I have to tell you something. I'm like, what? She says, I slept with Steve. Well, Steve was a college pastor, married three kids who had discipled me, led me to the Lord. I said, well, I would like to have known that earlier before I went to go see my parents. And I said, well, the engagement's off. I'm not going to build this on a lie. And I said, I'll take care of the baby, but this is over. I didn't have a friend in the world. It was kind of a legalistic church, and I was so discouraged. I didn't want to live anymore. I couldn't see a way out of this. I remember driving in my territory, Fresno, over to the coast into Hollister and driving through that winding road that goes through the mountain pass from the valley to the coast. And I was familiar because I'd driven that path a number of times and how treacherous it is. And I thought on one of those hairpin turns, if I just kept going straight, this would all be over. And that wasn't a passing thought. That was a serious thought. Remember the Lord saying, Rob, you believe in life and you're protecting the life of that little baby while you're willing to take your own. And that was enough to cause me to turn in the proper direction and keep my life going. I took him at his word. He's come that we might have life and life more abundant. It was dark and lonely. And the definition of a friend is when the whole world goes out, they come in, and that's when Michelle came into my life. She was my friend of those many years who had called me on my birthday, and she was part of my territory because she was going to Cal Poly, and I called her to tell her the update. And she became the dearest friend. And I kept thinking to myself, why would you hang around with me 
I mean, if God calls us to marry each other and she had just become a believer, you're going to be raising someone else's child. Why would anyone want anything to do with me? But she was a friend. And the Lord knitted our hearts together. I asked her to marry me. The whole process was a result of helping lead my mother and father to Christ. It's a story I don't have time to tell in its entirety, but suffice it to say, the day I walked out of the house is the day I became a man and the day that I understood true hope because in the midst of my hopelessness, by standing upon the truth of God's word, regardless of the consequences of that, I watched as God took my trash and my sin and given to him in honesty and him enveloping it in mercy and me confessing it and agreeing with him. He took that and made it the most instrumental defining moment of my life that when I walked out of the house that day that resulted in my parents coming to Christ me marrying the most amazing woman on the face of the earth and watching as years later over 20 years later I get a friend request and this young lady would say do you know who I am and I said yes I do I prayed for you before you were born and she says I'm walking with the Lord and I'm serving him her mother would come to Christ and reconcile. The, the, the man who led me to the Lord reconciled with his wife. Their family flourishes. God restored this. And here I am, 30 years later, married to this amazing woman with five kids who walk with Jesus, three grandkids who are the finest on the face of the earth. And if you question any of that, you will be picking up your teeth with your broken arm. I am a blessed man. That's how God works. Now, we don't always get to hear the end of the story, and mine's not completely written, but I can tell you this with complete conviction. When you stand upon his word, it is a living hope. The psalmist says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I do hope. The psalmist continues, I rise before the dawning of the morning and cry for help, I hope in your word. Remember the word of your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. Proverbs says, a hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when desire comes, it is a tree of life. The man of wisdom in Proverbs says, the desire of the righteous will be granted. The psalmist states, they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. The psalmist goes on again to say, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk with him. And where we began in 1 Peter chapter 1, we come to the conclusion, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you as it has been for me who are kept by the power of God through the faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Why? That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than earthly gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I have to tell you something. I have never seen Jesus face to face. And all the depictions of the paintings of those who would say that that is him, they cannot be true because he's handsome. And the scripture says 
There was nothing in his appearance that would draw us to him. It's almost like he fell out of the ugly tree and hit every branch on the way down. And I, I say that because his word says that, not in that exact extent. But there's nothing that would be attractive. But I have to tell you something. I love him with all my being. I love him. I'm not ashamed of him. I'm not ashamed of his word. I'm not ashamed to declare it is my living hope and has always been my living hope. And every trial, everything that we endure, the purpose of it is that the genuineness of our faith, being much more precious than earthly gold, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise him, may be found to honor him and glory at his revelation. He's a good God. There's hope in him. He's our living hope. We don't have to listen to the false prophets. We don't have to be discouraged. We don't have to walk around as though we've been defeated because his word says we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And then finally, I love the idea of an anchor that holds you in a storm. The author of Hebrews, many suspected to be Paul, wrote, For when God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply you. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. So did Abraham. Verse 15, and so, after he had patiently endured, and he obtained the promises. Abraham didn't patiently endure. He lied to Pharaoh. He lied to Abimelech. He, he, he didn't go where he was supposed to go. and He gives his wife away and lies and gets them all in trouble. And, but all those areas where he did obey, that's where God just erases. And only what's done for Christ will last. And that's all God sees after he wipes away all the sin. He just sees us And that's how he can say of Abraham, verse 16, for men indeed swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God determined to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, meaning his, his counsel, his word is true, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things, two immutable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie. His counsel is never deceptive. He can't lie. He can't lie. He he seeks not to deceive and he cannot deceive you. It's impossible for God to lie. We might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become our high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, meaning that he intercedes and he cleanses us of all unrighteousness so that a God of justice can look at a failure of a man like me and say you're forgiven and I've come that you might have life and life more abundant. My word will bring you hope and it will transform you from a creature of idol worship into a lover of God that will bring a blessing beyond anything you could ever imagine. Just trust me. In the midst of the storm, that hope will be the anchor of your soul. It is, this hope that is living is Jesus Christ for you as it's been for me. And I pray that that would be your embrace. I love this quote by Winston Churchill. In war, as in life... It is often necessary when some cherished scheme has failed to take up the best alternative open. And if so, it is folly not to work for it with all your might. The scheme has failed. Our salvation is not coming on Air Force One. 
You see, we are in contention with a God who is judging America. And it is time with all of our heart to work with all of our might to reconcile ourselves to the living God and say to him, God, search me and know me if there be any wicked way. Lord, would you bring conviction that I would declare in honesty that I'm responsible and I'm guilty. Lord, would you instill in me your heart that I would see the world the way you do. I would love the things you love and hate the things you hate. That I would not waver. That I would not worship idols and embrace deception in order to tickle my ears to avoid the hard decisions of life. Major Winters and Band of Brothers, and this is my conclusion, Major Winters and Band of Brothers, he's since gone on to be with the Lord, but he was beloved by his men in easy company. And in his memoirs, he wrote in D-Day Plus One after he had survived the jump into Normandy with 101st Airborne 502. On D-Day Plus One, after a brutal battle, where he had watched men die. And he himself, I believe, was injured and he would go on to see the end of the war. He said, on D-Day plus one, if I am to survive this war, and that was the, the day of all days, if I am to survive this war, I made a promise to myself that day that I would go home and I would find a peaceful piece of property and there live the rest of my life in peace. We all want peace. But the reason why he could go and buy a piece of property and enjoy that piece is because he had fought for it. And the minute we're in a conflict between good and evil and to examine our hearts, we just want to quit. We want to turn to our children and say there's no hope. No, the scripture says that I've been young and I've been old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor their children begging bread. And every great child that has delivered God's people has always been conceived and raised in tumultuous times. Don't be afraid to be a parent. Don't be afraid to be a Christian. Don't grovel at the foot of false prophets. Stand, you are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. You have a living hope. And if you're here and you've never given your life to Christ or you are here for the first time, and maybe you've been here all along, but all of us have been susceptible to these false prophets. We have now heard this message and our hearts have been torn and we realize, God, have mercy. I am here to stand upon your truth and not compromise. And Lord Jesus, I want you to be my hope. I want you to be the anchor of my soul. I have never met you, but I am in love with you. Thank you for your sacrifice upon the cross that paid the penalty for my sin that I would be reconciled with a God of justice because, Lord Jesus, you paid the penalty for my sin and I no longer want to walk in that. I want to walk in truth. If you want that hope, if you want to return to that hope, I want to invite the worship team up. I'm going to pray for you right now. Lord, I thank you for your word, which is true. I thank you, God, 
that according to the abundant mercy you possess, that you have begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Lord, that you have given us an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled, and it doesn't fade away. Lord, you've written our name in the Lamb's book of life as we've called upon you, and we've said those three words, Lord, save me. And now we've been kept by the power of God through faith, and you have given us this salvation. And in this we greatly rejoice. Lord, for a little while, if need be, you have grieved us by various trials, but that genuineness of our faith, which is much more precious than earthly gold, and that perishes, but through this testing of these trials, we have been found to praise and honor and glory at knowing you more and more, that you are a hope that is real. And Lord, we want to say thank you. Return us to that, that in these trials, our faith would be perfected and we would be strong to serve. And this would be a generation of those who would understand the cost that comes with standing upon truth. We're no longer afraid. We're children of the King. And we love you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to return to this hope, if you declare that you stand upon this hope, if you've never met the God of this hope and today you want to say, Jesus, be my Savior, it's real simple. Just stand and we'll worship the Lord. Let's stand and worship if this is your heart's desire.